0: Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. The Volume. Get in on the action with the DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers who deposit $5 or more can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 back in bonus bets. How cool of a deal is that? All you have to do is download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, takes 90 seconds, and use the code Colin, C-O-L-I-N. This is the best deal you're going to find. New customers, it's a no-sweat bet, up to $1,000 if your first bet loses. How cool is that? Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, code is Colin. The crown is yours. Gambling problem, call 1 800 Gambler or visit www.1800Gambler.net in New York, call 877 8 HOPENY or text Hope NY four six seven three six nine. in Connecticut. Help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 789 7777 or visit CCPG.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, KS, Licensee Partner, Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See slash basketball terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions. Terms and and responsible gaming resources.
2: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Draymond Green Show. This next guest, uh, I am extremely honored to have on the show. I I played AAU growing up with the family, and we would practice. At, well, before I played with the family, I played with the Michigan Mustangs, but then I played with the family, and we would practice at Detroit Country Day. And this guy right here is one of one of two guys who I'll say built Detroit Country Days Gym. That's Chris <laughs> Weber, is the other guy. And this next guest that we have on, Shane Battier, who's an NCAA champion, uh two-time NBA champion, the sixth pick in the NBA draft, two-time all be all NBA defensive second team, uh, NCAA Final Four most outstanding player, Shane Battier. Welcome to the show, my friend.
1: Hey, my brother, I appreciate you. Thanks, thanks for Thanks for having me on. You know, the resume, you know, I tell my, my kids now I used to be somebody. So when I, when I hear my resume, you know, it makes me feel good because my kids don't believe I used to be pretty good.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny? Oddly enough, I, I have a seven-year-old son. And he likes to race me. he tell me, like, you're old, you're slow, daddy. You're slow. And I'm like, dude, I'm still out there running up and down the course. So I can only imagine what you have to deal with.
1: Oh my gosh. I you know, I coach <laughs> high school basketball. My son's a sophomore, he's 15 years old. And uh you know, I I had to you know grab these kids by the collar a couple of times this year and say, just trust me. If 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 it, if it worked against Kobe, it's gonna, it's gonna it's gonna work for you. All right, just just trust me. Just trust me on this.
2: Absolutely, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Um, but I mean, just going back to high school, obviously, just mentioned uh, Detroit Country Day. Um, what was that experience like for you going to Country Day? Uh, I know I read some stuff in the book, which we'll get into, but just like share that experience with me. I have actually one of my best friends in the world, Benny Fowler, went to Detroit Country Day, yeah. um, grew up going over to Dumar's house and, you know, they all went to Country Day. Uh, just share that experience with me for, for starters.
1: Yeah, well, it's funny. You know, I, I grew up in Birmingham, suburb of Detroit, and I had never heard of Chris Webber uh, when I was growing up. You know, even though he went to school like 15 minutes away, and I, and I love, you know, I love basketball, obviously, and it wasn't until he went to Michigan, uh, and I was in seventh grade my first year of Country Day, that I knew about Chris Weber, uh, which is kind of weird, oh, no. and, and the only reason I went to Country Day, uh, my, it was a great academic school, obviously, my, my mom said, no, hey, do you want to go to Country Day? And I, I didn't know what Country Day was, I was just it was a kid who liked playing sports, and and she's like, it's that school that has a really good football stadium right there on 13 Mile Road. I'm like, oh, Really? Yeah, you know, that's back when I played football. So that's why I went to Country Day. Uh, wow. But it was, um, you know, it, it was a great place for me um, because, you know, even though I was from Birmingham, you know, I cut my teeth on Detroit Police Athletic League. Um, you know, my childhood, whether it's growing up with my little brother or Birmingham Little League, it was all based on competition. And what Country Day for me was, you were, whether it was in the classroom or on the court, is people wanted to win. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we had a lot of success. So we had, we had, we won three state championships, you know, only lost about, I don't know, seven or eight times. Uh, We had, you know, seven, eight guys who played in college, guys who played in the NFL, and everywhere that you look, you had someone who wanted to do big things. And so, um, like for me, like people always thought like country day was, you know, you know, preppy kids from, from the suburbs of Detroit, but like there people just wanted competitive and wanted, wanted to do big things. And so for me, like that was the most, uh, the most important thing, you know, I got to play with both Chris Weber's little brothers, Jason and, and David, and, uh, you know, two of my favorite people, teammates, they were, they were unbelievable. And, you know, those battles we had at country day, I mean, they were some of the toughest practice I ever, I ever had throughout my entire basketball career.
2: Absolutely, that's incredible. So tell me this: I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this question because my heart bleeds green. Why Duke? At by the way, at a time where Mateen Cleaves is at Michigan State, Morris <laughs> Peterson's at Michigan State, Charlie Bell's at Michigan State. Why Duke over Michigan State? I can guess the academics, but I'm sure it runs deeper. True,
1: not true story. And I love is is, and and I, and I tell this this: I tell, I tell it tell him to his face. He messed up. Um, you know, I've been recruited by by everybody. And is had just gotten the job at Michigan State. And I liked Is, you know, I I'm like, man, this guy is he's legit. He's he's got it. Um, but is messed up. One day he came to me and said, Shane, and you know this, he said we had the best weight staff in the Big Ten. Okay. We're, we're we're gonna put 40 pounds of muscle on you, and you're gonna be the baddest power forward in the Big Ten. <laughs> and then I got Dean Smith and Coach K say, no, man, like you're a small forward, man, you gotta shoot threes. I'm like, I'm with those th- guys. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the reason why that was like the main. I didn't want to be a power forward. I didn't want to. I didn't want to. You know, put forty pounds and, and bang guys. I wanted to be a small forward and shoot three. So that's 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 why I went south. That that's true that story. Is, true story. That
2: is so interesting to me because I came into college as a power four right? And now I'm looking at all of these things like, wait, this guy's too small to be a power forward. He needs to be a small four So ironically. I start at the small four position, and where do we play? We're playing at Cameron Indoor. Um, we're playing against Kyrie Irvin. That's one of the six games Kyrie Irving had, and he had 31 points. And I caught myself going out there playing three that year, uh, my junior year. And I told coaches, though, after that game, I said, Hey coach, you know, I think I'ma just move back to the four, man. This this three spot ain't working <laughs> for me. You gotta chase these little guards <laughs> off screens, off pin down. Like, I I'm not, I'm gonna just go back to the four. So I was actually the total opposite, but I thought I wanted to be a three.
1: That's funny. Well, it, it's, it's funny. I mean, obviously, like I think you and I are, are two originators of the of small ball four. I mean, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, it, it's absolutely whether you came first or I came. Well, whatever. Uh, we we were the first like s- small forwards became power forwards, and mm-hmm. and now the game is obviously so changed and it's positionless. But like the ability to guard a four. Mm-hmm. And no matter how small you are, that that that's the skeleton key, man. I mean, you're, you're, obviously yes. you're one of the greatest defenders of, of, in NBA history. And Thank and you could guard, guarded one through five. Literally, they, they say like one through five, but you could guard one through five. But like what your special skill was, was you're able to get up and lose leverage, you know, against seven footers mm-hmm. who are outweighing about 40 pounds. And it's not about strength. It's, it's just about like knowing how to use your body, knowing about angles, knowing leverage. And like, and so like, you know, I, don't, I look back at my high school days. I was a back-to-the-basket five, but I learned how to do that. And so when I transitioned to be a small forward in the league and a two-guard, uh, for a majority of my career, I never lost that. And like, that was, that's the skill that unlocks everything. So for these like young guys, you know, they want to sh- step out and shoot threes and, and turn a face, mm-hmm. but it's like, yo, if you want to play and like be super valuable to your team, like learn to guard the posts, learn to guard, yes. pick and roll. Cause like you'll always play, you'll always play. And that uh, that's like, no one ever talks about that. And I'm, I'm glad I'm here talking to you. You're like the one guy in the entire history of the NBA who gets w- what I'm saying. Am, am I right?
2: at 1000%. It's crazy because I, I you'll see young guys now, and to your point. They don't have a they don't have a clue of how to guard the post and Harris to take it even a step further. People stop teaching post defense because guys start posting up. Well, now the game is changing back and you're starting to get guys posting up again and no one knows how to play post-defense anymore. And especially when you get guys coming from college, you know the first thing these guys come from college, they do, they put their chests out. And and I'm like, yo, you cannot guard the post with your chest in the NBA. (laughs) Guys hitting your chest, they're spinning off you. You just can't guard that way. And so it's interesting that you say that because I think the key actually to my career and to your point, the key to my career was that my whole life, I was the biggest guy in Saginaw. So my uncle had me dribbling the basketball. Uh, Coach Speedy told me like, man, you can't just be a five, but my whole life I would play the five. Now, yeah. I played a point guard offensively and post up some and bring the ball up the court, make plays, but I played the five. And so yeah. you when once the NBA turned to small ball, you'd see teams like, oh, that guy is six 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 seven two. We'll put him at the five. But my whole life, I learned how to anchor a defense yep. because I played the five. You know, yep. and so uh, to your point, I think that's a great thing for young guys to learn uh, yeah. how to guard the post and how to guard pick and rolls.
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we played for two of the best, you know, college coaches of all time, and, and and Coach Izzo and Coach K too. That 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 didn't hurt. But you know, the ability to guard, you know, pick and roll, mm-hmm. be able to switch off on pick and roll. You know, to do every single coverage, you know, like you just don't see guys who are that defensively just, you know, versatile and have the IQ to be able to do all that thing in every situation. And It's it's a huge, huge, huge advantage for these young guys uh, if they get that, that teaching and that coaching.
2: Man, you don't know how surreal this is for me right now. And growing up and just listening, hearing your name and knowing you was <laughs> from Michigan and to be doing this interview right now is blowing my mind. So thank you. Um, before we move away from, from your early days, um, something, and in, and in, in Michael Lewis wrote in 2009 article, uh, <clears throat> that the inner city kids who, who you play AAU with treated you like a suburban kid with a white game. And the suburban kids... Who you play with during the regular season treated you like a visitor from the planet where they kept black people. How was that navigated <laughs> for you? Um, you, you, uh, the only child out of school with a black father and a white mother. Like, how was that? At like, we're now twenty years removed from that. Stuff has moved a l- f- far ways in twenty years though. How was that for you then, having to deal with that?
1: You know, Dre, it was it was the hardest thing I've had to deal with um, a- as a kid. Um, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Right. Uh, I, I never belonged anywhere ever, ever, you know, I grew, grew up in Birmingham, but we we were, we were poor. I mean, you know, I, I still remember what a government cheese sandwich tastes like. Like I never had people, <laughs> you know, from my school to my house cause we had like holes in the, in the, in the roof when it, when it rained, I, you know, I was putting pots underneath the, the, uh, the holes and wow. like, and so like, sports was the one place and basketball especially that like i i belonged and i realized at a young age like look when i win and i help my teammates and my friends win like they don't care that i'm you know half black they don't they don't care i'm uh where i'm from they just know hey you can play and that's that's the beauty of sports and so so i became like obsessed with just winning and it wasn't even about like what i did i was like what do i need to do to help my team my, my friends win and mm-hmm. And so that was my entire game from my, literally from my kindergarten all the way to my last day in the NBA. It was just like, man, I, I gotta, it's gotta win. I just gotta win. And so, um, you know, I, I had no one to talk to. You know, this is before the days, of, you know, mental health was, was even uh, was even invented, right? So mm-hmm. no one's talking about like mm-hmm. the, the anxiety or depression back in the 80s. You know, you just kind of sucked it up. And, and uh, my parents couldn't understand, my friends couldn't understand. I just felt like alone and isolated. Um, but the one place I, I made people respect me was on the basketball court. And so, uh, that was the most important lesson. And I learned this lesson when I was like in first, second grade, uh, that I carried with me throughout my career. And it was it's always, it's always about winning, man. That's, that's all that matters. If you win, it doesn't matter who you are. And so that was the hallmark of my, of my entire career. So it was the hardest thing I ever had to deal with as a kid. Uh, but it was, it was what made me, who I, who I am today still.
2: Winning cures all. It does. I want to get into an early part of your career. I know everyone talks about the Miami Heat days, and rightfully so. That's where you won a championship. And that's always going to be the most respected, and we'll get into that. But I want to talk about something in your career that I thought had a huge impact on your career, and I just want to know your take on it. Playing with Yao Ming in Houston, um, (laughs) you end up with, seven or eight signature shoes um, with, with a Chinese shoe company, one of the first guys uh, to sign over with the Chinese shoe company. How was that plan with y'all and what impact did it have on you outside of the game of basketball because his brand was so big and reached so far?
1: Yeah, man. First of all, y'all, y'all was one of the best teammates of all time. And, you know, you talk about a guy who worked, who cared, uh, who brought it every single day? Never made excuses. I mean, it was a superstar. I mean, he, he's every every teammate's dream, every coach's dream. You know, it, you saw how much stress he put on on himself uh, to carry really, like you know, two billion hopes and dreams of of his countrymen in China on, on his shoulders. And he did it mm-hmm. with amazing grace. And um, even though he could never really stay healthy enough to sustain a, a long career, I mean, man, he was. He was, he was so good as a teammate, you know, like Yao could never really train in the summer. So he was always kind of like out of shape when he showed up to camp. Mm-hmm. But by, by Christmas, he finally got in shape. And for like two months, man, like I'm telling you, like prime shack, like Dwight Howard, Young, Dwight, they, they, they couldn't do anything with him. I mean, he was like the best player on the planet. And then he got tired after about that two month run and it was fatigued and wasn't as good. But like for that two months, like no one could do anything with him. Um, So he, first of all, he was an amazing teammate, amazing human being. I love him. Uh, Secondly, I, he brought me to a, a place in the world that I never thought I would. I'd be you know every kid dreams about having their own shoe. And when I signed with Houston, uh, Pete came to me and said, "Hey, we want you to be there, your our international spokesperson." I never heard of Pete. All right, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, like they're paying American dollars. This is the time when like Nike, Adidas, they weren't paying anything. So I'm like, all right, yeah, cool. So uh, for ten years, I went to China every year and uh, tour the country and and i've seen every part of china and really learned to you know love love uh, just the people of china because they just they love hoops man they love hoops they're knowledgeable uh they love family love education all things that that you know I, i was about and so uh you know i've i've done everything and like I'm way more fi- famous in China to this day than I am in America, not even close. Like I, I hosted the, 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 the Chinese version of Saturday night live and I don't speak chan- wow. Chinese at all. Yeah. I hosted it like something like 150 million people every week watch a show. I hosted it. I was on Chinese Oprah. Uh, I have my own commercials. I have like a hundred foot billboards. There's a statue somewhere of me in Beijing. I, I couldn't even tell you where it is. And so like, the things I saw in China, it was, it was nuts, but uh, it, was, it was a great experience for 10 years, and I, I have you out of thanks.
2: Do you ever go back there now and, and do some things there now, or have you not been
1: back? I've, I haven't been back since, since COVID, uh, but okay. when, I, when I go back, you know, it's, it, when you go to China, everyone has a nickname. And at the time uh, you know president obama was was the president and because of the way i talk and i'm white skinned my nickname was mr president and so every city <laughs> i go to I have a press conference and people would be like mr president mr president you know how, how do you find shanghai and i'd always say you know it has the best beer and the, and the best looking women you know then i go to qingdao and like, mr president how do you find Qingtao? You know, it's got the best beer and you know the best looking women. And so uh, I, I laugh. So I still walk down the street sometimes, and someone from China will say, Hey, Mr. President, I'm fans of you. So I, 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 look, I look forward to going back someday.
2: That's incredible. And 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 speaking of y'all, you also um obviously T Mac was, was a part of those teams as well. Yeah. Uh, we had T Mac actually on, on the show um last year. And we spoke about winning and health and the different things. What was that like um, during those years of where you guys couldn't quite get over the hump of getting out of the first round and the beating that you were watching T-Mac take due to that? But all of you guys um, had to deal with that. What was that like?
1: Yeah, that was was the hardest part. That was probably the worst part of my NBA career. Just not being able to have a, a real, you know, NBA championship run. We had the talent. You know, it just never seemed like we had the right health. Um, uh, and I, my first year in Houston, you know, I'll never forget losing game seven at home. It's hard. You know, I I'd, I'd never been to uh that situation where I thought we were gonna win and we're up, you know, four or five points with two minutes to go and lose the game to Utah. That was a really good Utah team with with Booze and 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 D Will and That and, and, and But they're they but to lose game seven at home, man, that that really stung. And, and like you always like. Assume they're like, oh man, we're, we're, we're gonna get back. And we just never did. We just, we never did. And one year T Mac was hurt and we actually beat Portland um, mm-hmm. and then lost in the second round. But, um, you know, it, it was tough. T Mac was unbelievable, man. I mean, he, he was so talented. And, and again, he, he had some injuries. So he wasn't as explosive as he was earlier in his career. But I'll tell you what about T Mac. He, he's the best passer ever played with. I mean, really? Like, people, yeah. Like people don't give him credit for. They, his passing, he was an amazing scorer and he was explosive and, and, and all that. But man, he was like, he always put it, you know, on time, on target. You know, I used to yell at LeBron and D Wade and I'm like, dude, like you want to assist hit me in the chest and maybe throwing it at my ankles or <laughs> T-Mac T- T- <laughs> never missed the pass. Never. And so, wow. um, yeah, that's the one part of T-Mac that I always say, like, you have to give him his flowers. He, he's the best, one of the best passers of, of our generation.
2: Wow, that's interesting to play with LeBron James. I would have never guessed that. I would have no, never LeBron, guessed
1: that. LeBron used to throw the ball to my ankles and, and you know <laughs> t- take me off my shot. Like I mean, LeBron, you you want triple doubles? Hit me in the chest. I'll make the shot. I can't. I can't. I can't promise you if you hit me over. Here. <laughs> so he got better. I, he got better. But D Wade and, and LeBron. That's like those. those that's, that's that's the thing that drove me crazy about them. As great as they were. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's hilarious. That's hilarious. That leads us. That leads us into our next topic. Uh, you joined the Heat, uh, LeBron's second year there, uh, which they were coming off a finals loss. Uh, what was the energy like going in there uh, with you know the Heatles team, who was expected to be everything, and now they just lost in the finals to a Dallas Maverick team who they were way more talented than uh, expected to kind of run through, run the first. Two games and then lose four in a row. What was the energy like yeah. with you going in there um, well, after
1: that? Well, first of all, Dre, like I was like everybody else. When, when the big three came together, I was rolling my eyes, I'm like, oh, come on, man. Like, really? Really? You know? And so, like, <laughs> you know, I was playing at Houston and I got traded to Memphis and I was like, come on, man. Just like, just calm down. Like, like you know? So I was, I was like everybody else. But as soon as they lost to Dallas, I was my first time I was ever a free agent in my career. And I'm like, huh? I have never won a championship. They're going to win a championship. I should go to Miami. And that was my thinking. Mm-hmm. And so when I got there, um, and I, I I was always like, I'm not, I'm not a Miami guy. Like that's not who I am. I'm from you know Midwest. I'm from Detroit. Like, and mm-hmm. um, you know the thing that struck me about that team was I think they learned a lot, and they and they really got humbled by Dallas, mm-hmm. and the edge that that team had going back the next year I've, I've never seen a team like that i'll never forget ring night it was after the lockout um so first game christmas uh, christmas night in dallas ring night and like those guys didn't want to see dallas get the, get the rings so we're back in the tunnel back there at, at, in dallas and you could just see them everyone just just so angry and like the edge you could feel just like oh man and I, I look around i'm like Oh man, we winning this. <laughs> we, are, we are winning this. And we came out and, and we we beat Dallas pretty good. And and uh, you know, that night, you know, I got the plane. I'm like, oh, we're we're winning. We're winning. But like that, that like that team was so talented, they learned the lesson. Like, you know, I mean, to be a champion, you you have to go through the fires and you got to get, you know, kicked in the face, and you got to get up and you gotta learn, understand, okay, to be a champion, like this is what it takes. It ain't just Absolutely. about talent, it's about it's about here. And so um, I like to think I was additive to that, uh, but that team was so talented. But the but the hunger and the edge that that team had was uh, something I, I had never experienced. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs>
0: is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my! Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part
1: of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
2: The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the south side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn. Alliances will shift and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash the shot to get a fifty percent discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime Annual Plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.
1: This is Jeff T from the Club Five Twenty Podcast. You'll know when you get it. It'll say eBay. Authenticity. Guarantee. You'll feel it. Because when it comes to your feet, eBay has your back. Maybe it's their head turning pair for hooping detail inspection so when you finally step into those grill kicks you'll realize the feeling is unlike any other and with ebay authenticity guarantee the feeling of real is always within reach ensure your next purchase is the real deal visit ebay.com for times
2: we've all had a frustrating experience buying tickets even me you all know i love to go to concerts shows and it can be hard to find last minute tickets. You shouldn't have to worry when you buy tickets to your next big event. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets to all the sports, music, comedy, and theater shows near you. I'm looking through the Game Time app right now, and it's really easy to find tickets at different price points. I know it isn't cheap to see the Dubs play anymore, but we got some fun matchups coming up versus the Lakers, the Mavericks, and more. GameTime is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. They have all-in pricing, so you know exactly how much you're going to pay. Plus, the Game Time Guarantee means you'll always get the best price. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use the code word GREEN for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply, create an account, and use the code word green G R E E N for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. One, one, one thing that I thought was big and what it looked like, and I'm and Harris, without my question would be to you is it seemed like one thing that really got that team over the hump uh, and allowed that team to take off was it seemed as if D-Wade kind of took a backseat. Like, Bron, listen, it's your show. You go, i second fiddle in the sense not, you know, people use it negatively. Uh, yeah, And if you want to win championship, your second option is just as important as your first option. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it seemed like D-Wade kind of took a backseat and let Bron go. Was that something that y'all discussed? Was it just like, did yeah, it just you know, kind of come out?
1: You know, I think if you, if you saw that team the year before and they lost to Dallas, Uh, There wasn't good flow Mm -hmm. and it was almost like they were afraid to step on each other's toes. Right. So Mm -hmm. it was like D Wade's turn. Then it was LeBron's turn and it was CB's turn. Like, and so like from a basketball standpoint, it just seemed like they were always like fighting against each other. Right. So I think they came back the next year and like D Wade is like, he's one of the most, you know, he's so cool, man. Like Mm -hmm. he's got all the confidence in the world where like, he knows like what everyone's saying on the outside, but he had the confidence to say, you know, dude, I'm I'm a Hall of Fame player. I'm, you know, a top three or four shooting guard of all time. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm gonna get mine. I'm gonna be fine. Right. And mm-hmm. um, so I don't think he stepped back, but I don't think he was concerned about like whose team was it? And yes. that's the hard that's the hardest thing. I mean, you know, playing with with Clay and with Steph and, and and Hall of Famers, like at that level, I mean, you know, you guys are all Hall of Famers. It ain't about like one guy, right? Absolutely. And, and it's just like, yeah, like I'm a dude. And yeah. at the end of the day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do what I'm going to do. And so that was that was what D-Wade and what CBM and what Bron did. And just I think that confidence and losing the Dallas allowed them to be the best versions of themselves. So let me tell you, like, you know, those guys are motherfuckers, you know, at, at different times in the year, like motherfuckers. And, and their greatness was unleashed because they just, just say you know what? I'm a dude. I'm not going to worry about anything else. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean is, is, is that what your experience was?
2: 100%. I, it's funny because I actually use this analogy. Um, like, one of the keys, one of the main keys to our championship is this. And Maverick, Maverick will use this example, Maverick Carter. Uh, Maverick will say, I'm really tight with Mav. And Mav will say, man, I have a lot of respect for Clay." And, and this is when we're going through the runs. He said, I have a lot of respect for Clay." I'm like, man, tough as nails, right? Like, he shoot the lights out of the ball. And Mav's like, yeah, but no. The reason I have a ton of respect for Clay is, he said, because every night, every night, two guys walk into the bar the it Steph, it's Klay Thompson. And every night, Steph say, all right, there you see them two girls? I'm taking the pretty girl, and you got to take the ugly girl. <laughs> he said, and every night, Klay say, all right, I'll take the ugly girl, let's go, and take one for the team. He's like, because the, as great a shooter as Klay is, he going and guard the best player, and yet he's never going to get the credit that Steph was. Not one time did he ever complain about it. Not one time did he ever feel like, ah, man, I need to be this or I need to do that. Always confident in himself, always comfortable in his own skin, didn't care what anybody else had to say. And to me, that set a tone for the team because you're the second best player on the team. You're the second option, and you take that approach every single night. How can anyone else take a different approach, you know? And I think that was, to your point, that was huge for us. Like... Just Clay's demeanor and willing to, like, talked about it with Chris Paul. Clay going to guard Chris Paul and Clay going to guard Kyrie Irving and, like, all these guards. He could be like, no, I don't want to guard those guys. That stuff is. No, every single night he did that and it made such a difference in our team. It was for the better.
1: I, t- I tell young guys all the time, I say, look, no one has ever asked me. How many points you know did you score in your career? Couldn't tell you. Mm-hmm. Like you know, how many points you have in in the, the finals game seven, Shane? You know, no no mm-hmm. one's ever asked me that. No one ever. I get two questions about my career. They say, where do you keep your rings, and how do you decide which one which, which one you want to wear that day, right? <laughs> and so like when you win, they don't care about your stats. They just care that you were part of that team, and they care that you were you're a champion, and that's forever. Like yep. like what you did. In that moment, like you may have hit a big shot, but, like, no one cares about your stats. And so you want to yeah. be remembered, win. And be Absolutely. a part of it and, and be on the floor. And and legacy, that's legacy. Legacy takes care of itself. It, it ain't about the stats and the numbers you put up.
2: 100%. Was uh, ha- Have you played with a player as good or against a player as good um, as LeBron was? Like uh, that 20 really that 2011-2012, 2012-2013 season where he was really out of this world.
1: He was, let me tell you what, man, for for as good as you think he he was, he was that much better. Um, uh, look, you know, and I'm and I'm biased. I'm biased. I know this. <laughs> but people say LeBron or, or MJ, I said, "You know what? LeBron did something twice that I don't think Michael Jordan could ever do once." He won two NBA titles with Shane Battier as a starting power forward. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. That, 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 that's, you know, I'm biased, but I don't think, you know, I, don't, I love Mike, you, you know, we're the greatest of all time, but LeBron did it twice with me as his bum ass power forward and dragged me across the finish line. That, that, that speaks to how great Le, LeBron is. But you know, look, the, the, the force, the intelligence, um, uh, you know, he didn't have a weakness when he was in his prime. He's still playing amazing now. But, I mean, just there, there was no answer. There was no answer for him. And he was like a, a queen on the on the the chessboard and just do everything. And so it made my job certainly easier. Um, but, you know, I love playing with him. He was, a, you know, as great of a player he was, even better teammate. And he cared about his teammates. You know, we always got the newest beats by Dre and, and whatever LeBron got, we got. You know, so, like, he always took care of us. He always came to my my charity functions. Uh, you know, South Beach Badioki for Betty Take Church Foundation. He always grabbed the mic, he always sang, you know, stuff like that matters to a teammate. And so um, I will I will always, you know, i always stand for, for, for Brian. That's my guy.
2: There was a there was a young guy in 2000, the 2012, 2013 season that hit his first game winner. on uh, you guys walk yep. off in, in Miami. Yep. I felt really I, good about I that. that. I
1: remember that. I messed I messed up that coverage, but it still haunts <laughs> me. Like, I, I always prided myself on always thinking and doing the right thing. And it was, it was a switch. I was guarding you, actually. Mm-hmm. And Steph was coming off a, a, a screen and I prematurely switched off and I shouldn't have. I, I stayed home and you slipped and finished. And d just looked at me like, what are you doing? And I, oh, I was so hot. So, so I'll, I'll never forget that as long as I live. That's the only time I think I messed up at the end of the game when it, when it mattered defensively in my entire career. And it, it still haunts me to this day.
2: Ironically, <laughs> ironically enough, though, ironically enough, I don't think I would have gotten open on the slip if anyone else was guarding me. Oh. Because you're so ahead of the play, right? You're like, oh, I know Steph is coming off. Yep. And it re- and the reality is it should just be a simple red. I know. Someone I else know. would would have would have messed the red up and Steph would have came off open and you're so ahead of the play. So it actually worked to my benefit oh. that you were on me and, and were so forth. Still remember
1: that. Still remember that. <laughs>
2: No, that was a highlight for me by the way. <laughs> I when I hit the layup, I was telling myself like, "Ooh, I'm about to walk off." Man, I ran with my hands up. Uh-huh. <laughs> such such a great moment for me. <laughs> um but but you know, and just uh speaking on playing with LeBron and you were uh, Called a Kobe stopper, uh, and you've talked about being stuck on Kobe Island
1: before. Don't, don't start that, man. I don't I need don't, I don't <laughs> that on my, on my Instagram feed, man. Don't, don't start that talk.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what, no, but what, 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 what do you think? Um, what do you think differentiated Kobe from everyone else? Uh, like, there were obviously other tough covers. Paul Pierce was a tough cover. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you play, Before you played with D-Way, D-Way was a tough cover. Uh, before you played with Brown, Brown was a tough cover. What made Kobe so much tougher to cover than all those other guys?
1: You know, and I I did not like Kobe. We were frenemies. We had this, like, weird <laughs> passive-aggressive, like, relationship. I never spoke to him uh outside of the gym but there was no one i respected more uh for his for his mind uh look this guy was relentless relentless you know and i you know people ask me like what do you miss about playing and i said you know getting in the bus and having those butterflies in my stomach going to staples center being like man this guy's this guy's gonna try to score 60 on me tonight he's gonna try he's gonna try to embarrass me he's gonna try to embarrass me tonight you know and so like. I always had to be my best always. And if he scored 20, he won a 30. If he scored 30, he won a 40. If he scored 40, he won a 50. Even if he 50, he won a 60. I mean, like he was relentless. And so there was one, never a player that I ever took a play off, you know, and I got, like, I wasn't fast, but like, I, I, you know, I knew how to play everybody and I, I knew when I could sort of like slough off and, and, and take shortcuts, I, I, you couldn't do that against Kobe because he was so relentless. And so we had this really weird, um, game that we played. Like some days he would come out and be all buddy, buddy. Hey Shane, how you doing, man? What's going on? And the next day he wouldn't even like, wouldn't even look at me. Right. Mm. And the next time he'd be like, oh man, what's going on? And so like, he was always like ice and fire with me, just trying to throw me off. And I had the same mentality. I never looked him in the eye. I, uh, you know, I just was just, I never said, oh, I, mean, I, I can't guard Kobe. He's so much better than me. And so in Mamba Mentality, he, he wrote about this and I didn't read about this till after his passing um, and his passing really affected me. Cause I always thought I'd have this time to have this conversation with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when he passed, it really, really affected me. And uh, I read his page in Mamba Mentality where he said, you know, uh, talking about guys who were Kobe stoppers. And he said, you know, Shane, you know, uh, Shane never talked trash to me. Um, because he knew that it fired me up, and he never admitted that, like he could guard me. He's like, but I saw that as false humility, and I attacked him because of it uh, but <laughs> but I still respected Shane. I'm like he's right he's he's a hundred percent right, so like he knew me without really even knowing me, and that's what was special about our relationship, and uh, you know, we never spoke outside the basketball court. I didn't know him. He didn't know me, but like we knew each other and had this weird, like dynamic on the court. And so, um, for me, he, he was the pinnacle of competition, the pinnacle of, 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 of excellence. And he always brought the best out of me. And, uh, that's why I I love him.
2: Mm, Absolutely. Which, which brings me to my next question. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this because it's something that really gets under my skin. Um, and you just mentioned it, Everyone nowadays, they, people have a good game, and they're like, "Yeah, I I channeled the Mamba mentality," and I'm just <laughs> like, "Yo, stop it! Like, like don't do that! Like, that's that's not okay." And by the way, if Kobe was still alive, I don't think y'all would be saying that because Kobe would call you out and tell you that's actually yeah. not it. But yep. like, what do you make of all of these people going on TV? Like, yeah, I got the Mamba mentality. I'm doing this. Like, what do you make of that?
1: Well, look, you know. Kobe inspired a generation so all these young guys that came up they grew up on watching Kobe you know and him hitting those jumpers and, and making big shots and so um to them like that's their dream like you know you and I watched you know the Pistons and Isaiah and Jody and and you know all these guys the bad boys um that's that's what inspired us all these guys are inspired by Kobe and so um you know in this Instagram world you know, you, you think, you know, somebody just by watching them and oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to be that guy. But like, there's only one code, you know, mm-hmm. and there's only only one person that puts in the the work and understands the sacrifice, understands the discipline, understands, you know, every single night what it takes. Right. And to me, that's what mama mentality is. It's a relentless pursuit of, of excellence. And it's not about like, you know, having a big game. It's about like this is this is who I am every single time I step out on the court, and it's the hardest thing, it's the hardest thing in life, hardest thing in basketball to be that dude every single time you lace him up, right? And so, um, you know, it's I think it's cute that these guys are, are paying homage to Kobe, <laughs> but man, do it do it for as long as he did it at that level for as long as he did it, and then maybe we can talk.
2: Let's see. And you said that better than I could have ever say it. Cause you know what I say? I can't hate that shit. I hate when people say that. But you said you put that better than um I've ever heard it put. It's about that that pursuit of excellence. Yeah. Every single night. Because people don't understand that. Like when you gotta do it night in and night out, these young guys come to the league and they like, I want his spot. I want that thing. I want this money, that contract. Yep. And when you have to do that every single night. On 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 a soft Monday,
1: yep.
2: And you know who got the worst record? Detroit got the worst record in the league right now. Yep. On a soft Monday, soft Tuesday, you rolling into Detroit, it's too below outside, mm-hmm. and you got to go do that. You know, like yep. Then where's that Mamba mentality, then? Yep. So I, I, I definitely can appreciate that. Throughout your career in and, and guarding Kobe, you you guarded, and I think we all can agree, there were different versions of Kobe, right? Like, you had 24, you had 8, you had Kobe that, you know, people never really talk about it, but you did have Kobe that sometimes would come out, and, like, I'm getting my teammates involved and make a concerted effort to, like, get everybody involved and get double digits assists, and you got Kobe that's come out to your point and it's like, no, I'm going for 60 tonight. What were the different versions of Kobe? What was the toughest one for you to guard?
1: Well, look, you know, I I came in the league when Lakers, you know, were were doing it and that's when they had their dynasty and Mm -hmm. it was a different game. All right. And dude, like people know how dominant Shaq was, but like when Shaq was in prime Shaq, there was no one who could stop him like in the entire world. Right. (laughs) Circa 2002, 2003. Right. And so every Mm -hmm. game plan the Lakers had, it was like, how do you stop Shaq? You know? And like, like we're doing X, Y, Z traps. Like no one even knows what that is anymore. Right. We're going on the catch. We're going on the dribble or we're full rotating. Right. Like they've, no one does that anymore, but that was the Mm -hmm. late game planning and Shaq. And so like for Kobe, it was just like, Hey man, we gotta worry about Shaq. Like you're on your own with Kobe. So Kobe Mm -hmm. was like this dude who just like ran around and didn't, didn't get any help because the entire game plan was, was there to stop Shaq. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, when Shaq leaves, goes to Miami, uh, you know, that was kind of Kobe's term time to say, look, like this is my team and I'm going to show everybody that, you know, I made this go. not shit, Right. And so <laughs> Absolutely. like when he, so when he had, Powell, you know, and Bynum, and and those guys and LO and those guys, I mean, he was a handful because not only was he like, you know, had that much more knowledge and he was in his physical peak. But like he had an edge that he's going to show everybody that like this is about the Lakers are are my or my my franchise not Shaq's mm-hmm. right and so he just was a monster just was a monster and um, that was the toughest Kobe to guard because he was so hungry and he was playing for greatness not just to win championship um, and at the end you know obviously uh, you know he was he's still doing it. You know, and he—he he was a handful. He didn't have the talent around him as much, yeah. uh, so that was that was my favorite Kobe. <laughs> he, he was a little easier to guard, but, but still a monster. Still a monster.
2: Absolutely. Um, I saw that you want you—you you said when you play against him, it was like the ultimate chess match. And for me, who like to view myself a lot in your lane, um you know, where I can think the game and I have to use my brain to get one step ahead. I may not be as fast as this guy or may not jump as high as this guy, but I'm going to play harder than you and I'm going to outthink you. And you speak about that being an ultimate chess game. Uh, Would you say Kobe was was the guy throughout your career that that was like the one? There was no one else that you had to play chess with because for most people, yeah. I'm sure a lot like myself, you can outchest them. No problem.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But then you know, Kobe was yeah. that
2: one? Like the toughest. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I, I would put in terms of just mental guys who mentally that were just a monster to guard. You know, I put, um, Manu in that category, right? He was a monster just mentally. Dirk mm-hmm. was, was a monster, uh, you know, I, Paul Pierce was, you know, you said it earlier, Man, he was, he was a really tough co- cover for me, man. I, I struggled guarding Paul because Paul was super crafty, strong, had it all. Um, golly. I, I chased around AI, you know, AI was like a monster when I, when I was a rookie, I, yeah, I, I played two guard, and had to chase him around. And he was like so smart cause he was small, but like so fast. And, uh, you know, so there was a, a select few guys that you just knew every night. They're like, man, you got to like, you got to be here. You got to be here. Yeah. It's hard work, but you got to be here every single play. And that, that was the fun part, you know, with Kobe, like, you know, as analytics came in the game and like, I I got to learn, you know, the weakness and strength of every single player. Um, I would never say like I stopped these guys, but I understood like what really got me beat and what didn't. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was the difference as, as you get older and understand the math behind basketball. And so like, like I was willing, if Kobe wanted to hit, you know, 10, you know, three, throw line jumpers against me, that was the best case scenario for me. And if he hit him, hey, tip your cap and, and move mm-hmm. on. But if I put him at the line 15 times, or if I let him get to the hole and 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 make plays, like that's on me. That's on me. So like you, you just learn with certain guys, like, okay, look, I'm taking my medicine if he hits jumpers. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing you can do. He's he's that good. Um, and, and once you do that enough. And over the course of a season, over the course of a career, you know, that's, that's how you stay away from like the huge, huge games, game after game. These guys are going to bang yeah. you on the head every now and then, but at least you get a, a fighting chance to, to help your team and, and keep those guys under control.
2: 100%. It was almost like, you know, I know you said you, you, you try to make them take the tough, long twos. You, you was on the analytics before it was a real thing. Um and now you know in in transitioning into life after playing basketball you've kind of gone in that direction. Uh how would you say you were using that in a sense then but didn't quite know or were you already aware of it and and was using it then?
1: No, I learned that in Houston, you know, from Sam Hinkie Daryl Morey and you know the the way that they talked about analytics to me which made sense. I like I like playing blackjack and they're like you got to think about basketball like blackjack, right? When you get dealt pocket aces, what do you do? You always split them, right? 10 times out of 10. Why? Because that gives you the best chance to win that hand. Now, does that guarantee you you're going to win that hand? No, you know, get bad cards, dealer hits 20, whatever. But like, it gives you the best chance, right? And Mm -hmm. so like, everything in ba- basketball is the same way. You just got to give yourself and put yourself in a position to give yourself a chance of having success. Whether you have success or not, it doesn't matter. You did what's right. You split the aces, right? You make, made them take long jumpers. And so, you know, I became so focused on process, so focused on what should have happened. And I, I didn't care about what did happen actually. And that's like opposite of, of how we're taught to play sports, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're, so judge- we're judging the results. And for me, it was judging the process. And did I get my, did I split the aces or did I hit on, you know, uh, uh, you know, a soft 17, whatever. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so when you are so focused on process, it sets you free. It sets you free because you know, you did the right thing. And if you do the right thing enough, good things happen to you. And so that's how Absolutely. I was able to stay in the, long, the league as long as I didn't have success, even though I was slow, couldn't jump, or couldn't move.
2: So, and, and now knowing what analytics are today um, in, in your career that you had, were you born 10 years too early? Because if you were born 10 years later, <laughs> Yes. I, I can raise my hand. <laughs> 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 analytics going to take you to an even further place because it, oh. it's helped me a ton. Like, oh because
1: man, yeah. every
2: night is not going to be the 20 points for me, right? It's not every night, it's not going to be 15 assists, but analytics actually allows you to see a different story. So I, I'm going to say thank you for that.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're, you're welcome. You know, I, I'm always happy my brothers gets paid. All right. I have no, I'm not one of those bitter old guys that say, oh man, I would, you know, this guys are overpowered. I, hey. It's a it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah. But yes, I, I I do wish sometime I played about ten years later. You know, I, yeah. I probably would be a much bigger jerk now. <laughs> 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 I got to be a nice um, guy. I got to be a nice guy.
2: Absolutely. Oh. Uh, you you're you're the former VP of analytics and basketball development for the Heat. How do you feel the team changed? You know, the Heat is an old culture. It's Pat Riley. Um, leading the charge, and, and, and Eric Spolter, who's st- un- understudy for Pat Riley, uh, dating back probably thirty plus years now. How how do you think the ch- the team changed under your watching? The analytical view that you brought to that team um, and working with that front office staff.
1: Look, I, I like the Heat, you know, because they've had thirty years of success, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what Pat Pat's done, what supposed done, you, you just can't teach, right? And so I, when I was hired to run analytics, I didn't go in there saying, oh, like you got, you got to, you got to listen to my numbers and, and you know, you're doing it the wrong way. No, no, no. Like, I, I think that when you have data, it can always help. Uh, kind of the eyeball test, and, and 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 add to the process, and so that's what I just try to do. I try to build a a platform and, and a team that could uh, just sort of uh, support Pat Riley and and Eric Spolstra and just give them one more you know one more tool to assess talent, put together a roster, play the game of basketball. And that's that's what analytics is like. The best the best teams they they have the human element, they have the the math element, and they combine the two. All right, it's not all analytics, it's not all eye test. Um, just so you see this in business now, the, the companies that can, can marry data and, and people that that's who wins. And that's just, yes. that's just the era that we live in.
2: Absolutely. Uh, is, is your ultimate goal? You want to be a GM one day? Or coach no, GM? No, no,
1: but you know, I, I coach high school basketball this year and, and, uh, coach my son is a pretty good ball player. And so, uh, we're actually, uh, transferring, we're moving to Charlotte and, um, nice. Uh, I'm gonna retire from coaching, just be just be a dad. And so, uh, right now, I'm an advisor for the Miami Heat, and uh, that's probably the closest I'll ever get to the GMC. You know, I, ah. I like I like watching from afar. I'm 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 doing a lot of consulting now. I'm in business. I run a foundation. I sit on some boards. So. Uh, i have enjoyed transitioning to more more of a business mindset and, and dealing with different problems so i'll leave the uh the basketball problems to my best friend mike Dunleavy. <laughs> <laughs>
2: was, by the way mike has been incredible man uh he has been absolutely amazing I, i'm happy best. we have him
1: he's the been best. incredible i I've, I've known him for many many years and in my wedding and uh we have weekly calls to you know, to break it all down. So he's, he, he's going to win a championship as, as, as a GM, uh, sooner than, than later.
2: Absolutely. Did, did, did you come to that, um, conclusion or, yeah, I mean, did you come to the, when you were the VP of analytics that you didn't want to be a GM or initially did you think you would want to do that?
1: I, I didn't know. Um, I think in the back of my mind, I, I, I thought I could do the job and, mm-hmm. it would, you know, I obviously know the game and. Um, you know, when I got in there, there's just so much in the world, you know, I mean, you're, you're, you're a successful investor and you meet so many different people in all walks of life. And so when you sort of get out of the game, uh, you, you get exposed to so many things and so many really interesting people. And and so I think that's what happened to me. Just, just, you know, whether it's investing in a company or sitting on a board and, um, being able to help people and, and, and help, you know, use the lessons I learned from basketball and business. Like that was more exciting to me than trying to draft players. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's just me. And so, you know, utilizing your brain in a, in a different way, thinking about different problems, um, you know, that you never thought of before helping people in ways you never thought possible. Um, like that's, that's what excites me now. And, um, I still love basketball. I'm still connected to it, but, um, it's just fun to challenge yourself in a different way and grow in a different way and, and, and try to be a champion in a different way. Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely. What do you think, uh, knowing what you know about this game, you've obviously had an up close picture of it out uh, of Miami heat. They go to the NBA finals, what two of the last three years, what do you think that team needs to do to really get over the hump? Because I, I felt like last couple of years, they've been there everybody's just like, all right, you know they don't have a chance to win and then they don't win. You know, like, what do, what do you think the Heat team needs to do to ultimately get over we the hump just, in the finals?
1: Just got to make shots, man. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to say it. Like, you know, I was talking to a GM last year and they said, you know, the Heat had a great strategy last year. Miss all the three-pointers they took in the first half, but make them all in the second half. You know, that, <laughs> I mean, that makes a big difference. You know, look, it's a make-miss league. All right, We we know mm-hmm. the Heat, they're, they're going to be you know, well coached, they're going to play their ass off. They're going to play great defense, right? They got tough players. They got all-star players. They got hall of fame players on their roster. Right. So much of this league is, do you make shots, you know, and especially, you know, three point shots. And we, we haven't had the the best shooting year this far. Um, but if you get hot the right time, like they have last couple of years in the playoffs, man, they're, they're they're as good as anybody. So, um, you know, people ask me that question all the time. What What do you have to do to win? He's got to make shots, man.
2: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. A couple more before we get out of here. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't actually, and you mentioned him earlier, uh, about the legendary Coach K. I uh, Obviously, had the chance to play against him. I also had the chance to play for Coach K. Uh, for, for Team USA, we won an Olympic gold medal in 2016 in Rio. Obviously, that's a whole, I'm sure, an entirely different Coach K uh, than the Coach K that coached you, um, <laughs> who's who's out front, very quiet, not, you know, calm. But from what I've heard from guys that play for Duke, you get behind them closed doors and Coach K is, he'll, he'll rip you a new well, you, you, you talk tell, to me you, about you, Coach you, K's you, style? You tell
1: me your experience, you know, like your perception of, of, I played for him. So what was your perception going into Rio and the Olympic cycle versus what you think of him or how you know him now?
2: So so my perception going in the Rio was that like he was going to be super tough um like kind of all in your face and he wasn't that like he was kind of more philosophical in a sense now what I did love about coach K and, and what stood out to me more than anything was the pride he had for the shield the the USA shield the pride that he took in that everything everything we did was about the USA shield. You're playing offense for that shield. You're playing defense for that shield. The way you carry yourself is for that about that shield. And so, just the man he was for me stood out more than anything. But I, like I said, I don't think he coached us as hard as I've seen him coach Duke guys.
1: Well, by that point, I played in his first uh, his first international team, uh, 2006 World Championships. Now, is the only time he lost. We lost to Greece in the semifinals. And he learned a lot, he learned a lot. So I think, you know, mellow is the wrong word, but he, uh, uh, he learned how to deal with, you know, hall of fame players much better than maybe he did back in 2006. But, you know, uh, what made coach K. You know, my mind, the greatest coach of all time is, um, it was never about wins and lo- losses. Like you can talk about, we have to win this game or we have to win this, this quarter. It was always about standards, right? And this, this is the standards of Duke basketball. And this is what we'll, this is the only thing that we'll accept. You know, this is the standard of USA basketball. We're not going to accept anything less than this. And as long as we play to those standards, like wins takes takes care of themselves. And that was, you know, mm-hmm. we won 131 games and lost 15 in my four years. And we didn't talk about, hey, we have to win this game once. It was about, we had to play to the standard of Duke basketball. And every person that came through the doors as, as a freshman, they learned, okay, this is what we expect to be. You know, I'm I'm sure it's no different than, than Coach Izzo, you know, walking in, in the Breslin Center, like this, this is who we are. And this is how, what we do, this is how we act, this is how we train, this is how we think, this is how we talk to each other. And, you know, when you do that over the course of multiple recruiting classes or years, that's the culture. And mm-hmm. after a while it's work to maintain that culture, but Uh, expectations. That's that's the most important thing. And so that's what I learned about Coach K and it's always having a high standard for yourself. Expecting the most out of yourself um, and being part of something larger than yourself is much more important than any individual contribution that you can give.
2: And after, I think, 40 years, um, a couple years ago, Coach K stepped down and another one of your Duke brothers takes over, uh, John Shire, who's the head coach. What, after, and I'll let you get out of here after this, but after coming behind a legendary coach like Coach K, um, arguably the greatest of all time, but at least one off, what is success for John Shire at Duke? Like, can, do, does he is he expected to live up to what Coach K did? Is success one championship? Is it getting the final fours? What is success for Duke after following a legendary coach that you all play for?
1: Yeah, it, look. John has done an amazing job. All right, first of all, the you know we talk about the brotherhood shield. You know, mm-hmm. we're proud of our school, and uh, because it's about the standard of playing for something larger than yourself, mm-hmm. and that that you know, yeah, we, we love to go to Final Fours and win championships, absolutely. But if again, if the process is right, if, if and it's not shortchanged, and you do the right things, and you got to be a little bit lucky, um, mm-hmm. if you do all these things, success follows and um it's not about doing it the right way or whatever it's just about, it's, it's about doing it the hard way. It's about doing it consistently, and that is the expectation as, as an alumnus and everybody who's come through that program uh, that we expect John to do, and and what John has done to this this point. So we're behind Coach Shire. Um, it's hard, man. It's hard to, to win with all these young guys, and you're trying to teach life lessons for kids who are there for a cup of coffee, and that's just the nature of college basketball now. But um, you know, John's John, you know, Coach Shire is going to win. We're, we're behind him.
2: I respect that. Man, Shane, like I said before, this is an honor for me. Uh growing up in the state of Michigan, always hearing your name, um, always being able to turn turn on the television and be like, man, that guy comes from here. He made it, we can make it. Uh one of the heroes for me. And so I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Um we'll, we'll have you back anytime, but just thank you. Uh this has been a complete honor. A pleasure. I learned a ton. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate
1: it. Well, I appreciate you, Grandma. Thanks for representing state of Michigan, and yes. uh, you know, one of, the, like I said, one of the all time greats in the NBA. Man, you do, you, do, you make us proud.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you.